We're pointing fingers today on Toronto Today. Pointing fingers, hard jabs. Who's to blame for the Toronto Blue Jays' demise? You're feisty, Toronto, and I love it. It's August 29. Blue Jays have lost two to the even worse Baltimore Orioles. And we're frustrated. I feel deceived by this current front office, but who do you blame for the Blue Jays' demise? I'm Andy McNamara. You're listening on TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca. Be with you for another hour here. In 20 minutes' time, we'll chat with Terry Koshan from the Toronto Sun. Maple Leafs getting ready for training camp. He'll be here before you know it. Some off-season Maple Leaf stuff. Then at 1240, Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports senior NFL writer. Uh, Michael Kendricks, linebacker, he's uh, got indicted by the feds for insider trading. Then you have holdouts Le'Veon Bell, Khalil Mack. Lots to talk about in the National Football League. We've got the phone lines open again. You guys have been doing a great job there. 416-870-1050. 416-870-1050. And what I like is there's both sides to it. Because we put out the poll question. You can vote at TSN 1050 Radio at AndyMC81. Two years since the Blue Jays have had any sort of success, who's to blame for the Jays' struggles? And, of course, our producer Joe Narsa, known for the odd typo. Joe, you didn't put the S on the J, so the little picture didn't show up on the poll question. I like um, the little Blue Jay logo. I'm pretty sure I did it the first time. You put two years since the Blue Jay. That's uh, singular. Oh. Singular. <laughs> See? If you put the S on, you get the little picture. I would get the little Blue Jays you get the, It's adorable. That's how bad like this that. season has went. Not even worth it. <laughs> it's not worth it. It's fine. Like, one of the callers, he was like, you know, what, what are they? Like, they're only, like, what, 12 games under 500? I was like, yep. That's... It's not good. Yeah, it's not point, good. To his point, he was like pretty logical. He was like everything kind of went wrong this year, which too like yes, it did. Everything did go wrong this year. But you were set up for it to go like that, right? But at the same time, when this conversation happened in April, we called it. Me and you called yeah, it on said the they're station. Gonna suck. Said they're going to suck. Said there's no wild Agreed. card hope. But I remember everybody said like, okay, there will be injuries, but you know, if things go well, this team is a wild card team. If not. It would could be a tough season. I honestly did not expect another sh- like Strowman getting a blister, then him but like, him getting injured, yeah. and then the Osuna stuff was like insane. Can't predict that. And then you can't predict like having the injuries to Josh Donaldson, considering the fact. I mean, at this point, you probably should, since the Blue Jays don't know how to handle injuries. <laughs> Devin Travis, you could see that coming a mile away. Well, yeah, Russ we guaranteed. We said that from the beginning. We're yeah. like Devin Travis is is even gonna play thirty games. Here's the thing, though, Joe. You look at every team gets injuries. New York Yankees, Aaron Judge, the judge, the apple of Major League Baseball's eye, got injured. Guess what? Yankees are 84 and 48. Yeah. Good teams overcome. And that's the thing. To your point, good teams do overcome. And the Yankees aren't the same Yankees that people would talk about, you know, like 10 years ago. Yeah. They don't just solve their problems by spending a lot of money. They they make themselves a ton better by doing it. Don't get me wrong. But if you look at the core right now that they have, Luis Severino, you mm-hmm. look at Aaron Judge, you look at uh, Gary Sanchez. Um, you go up and down that line. Like, they have young guys that they've yeah. built from within. And the difference, Joe, with the Red Sox, too, who are doing the same thing, is they have the capital, they have the management that is going to say, all right, we're here, we need player X, Y to get over the top, go get him. Right. And I think as well, like, Blue Jays fans are looking towards the next season and expecting something exciting to watch, which I think will be there in Vladimir Guerrero Jr., don't get me wrong. But at the same time, outside of Vladdy, yeah, okay, prospects can be rated, and I get that. Mm-hmm. But prospects and futures, 
there's a 50-50 chance that future is great, and there's a 50-50 chance that future is bleak. And you never hear from them again. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. And th- listen, the future, you got Boba Shett, you got Danny Jansen up, right? Reed Foley, eh, up, but who knows the future? Like, you have, you have stuff, and that's, that's fine. But the thing is, you had a chance to go for it. And the management said, wild card. Be a wild card contender. Okay, stuff happens. But 30 and a half games back, 60 and 72, that doesn't just happen by accident. And Joe, let's say everything was, let's say everyone was wrapped in a bubble and everyone was great with the Jays. You're still, your biggest offseason acquisitions were Curtis Granderson and Jaime Garcia. Yeah, it wasn't a great offseason. No, and they said, oh, don't worry. Ah, We're not done yet. Then they got Jaime Garcia. It's like, oh, so you're fifth fifth starter. Now, this might sound insane, but I remember I was... I was in school in college, and we were doing a like podcast, me and two of my buddies, and we had it was the off season where the Blue Jays had a decision on David Price, yeah, and I had said this decision is going to define Shapiro and Atkins. It did mm-hmm. because at that point, on that day, we got a glimpse that this general managing team is not interested in spending a lot of money for a big risk. Nope. And that consistently has been their M.O. every offseason. And the Jays have literally been dwindled down over three offseasons under this management team. And that is their M.O., their record, their style from their time in Cleveland. This isn't a surprise. This hasn't been changed. This is what they did in Cleveland. This is what they did when they got over. And so that's not a surprise. But, Joe, the point is, again, if you wanted to, if you said, okay, hey, Alex Anthopoulos, he gutted the farm system or whatever, and we wanted to build back up, then just do it. We could have been a year and a half into this already. Exactly. And at this point, maybe it would have been worth it to bring Vladimir Guerrero Jr. up halfway through the season because he's growing up with a core. It's the same team. The right. Burning a year of his contract makes some sense. You could have got something for Josh Donaldson instead of worrying about, oh, are the fans going to come out? Yeah. Well, that's a corporate field. That's a corporate take that isn't the best for the ball club. That's my problem. As well... For example, will you look at what the Blue Jays have really done since Anthopolis. It's been a load of nothing. Whole load. And ju- just the pieces added, I'll go back to Steve Pierce. That just jumps out to my head, Joe. Because you had the Indian series, and what was it? It was, okay, they were, they were there, but, man, oh, Cleveland, they were faster, they were younger. Hey, maybe the Jays should try that. And management said, no problem. Let's get Steve Pierce, a utility outfielder who's injury-prone and slow as molasses. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, okay, this is over. All right, think Goodbye. of this. <laughs> when the Blue Jays uh, like, got Mark Shapiro, yeah. one of the biggest conversations around that was he was key in the field upgrade in Cleveland. They were talking about how that was something that he was able to do. He really understands like the, the process. No, no, they had upgraded their field specifically. Like, uh, oh, actual part, players. Progressive? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, now, yeah, progressive, yeah. Yeah. So he had upgraded Progressive Park, and that was that conversation. And then he was like, yeah, yeah, like, we're going to look into this. Like, that's a possibility. And then three months later, like, yeah, you, you, you we can't do anything. <laughs> like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, you can't put real grass in here. It's oh, a giant okay. cement block. It's a big ashtray. I could have told him that in the first place. I'm like, it's literally a circle ashtray beside a big cigarette in the CN Tower. You can't do anything. Where are you going to put grass? But apparently, there was that false hope. And that was, that's been the MO. And the only positive that I was given outside of Shapiro was 
Ross Atkins' connection with the Dominican Republic and his work drafting in South America, yes. I thought he'll have the opportunity of finding studs and gems because that pitching staff in Cleveland is significantly uh, like a, a main factor to that pitching staff. Sorry, is Ross Atkins' ability to find them as a scout and draft, and you can find you can find them and build. And what they did, they did a nice job building up Cleveland. But the difference was when they left the new management team there, then did. What the good franchises do, like the Yankees and the Red Sox. They went and added key free agent pieces to put you over the top. That's what this management group has never proven. So my hope is, all right, let's hope this works out, and they get to a point, and when it's time to really go for it, then a change happens. Because this team, Joe, I'm telling you, this team under Shapiro and Atkins, they don't know... Had to go all in. They're too careful. At some point, you got to go for it. Like on Twitter, at OMAC13. It says, Double A, Alex Anthopoulos did swing for the fences, took a 500-ball club, turned it into back-to-back ALCS. Talk about giving up prospects and gutting the farm. Name one guy you'd like to have back. Thor and the Dickey deal trade is about it. The majority high-end kids coming now are Double A guys. And so when we talk about gutting it, it wasn't as drastic, I don't think, as we, we thought. And to Alex Anthopoulos' credit, dude finally went for it. Like this, I just feel from what we've seen in their past, Shapiro and Atkins aren't the type of guys who go for it. If what they put together works, cool. But when it's time to really go, outbid somebody, pay more than you should to get somebody to put you over the edge, I don't think they can do it. And this is a lot of similarities to when Alex Anthopoulos first came here. A lot of his conversations were about having controllable assets, having players under contract, they're at the right age, they're primed to be controlled, and that's all well and good. But controllable contracts usually mean a player early on in his career Mm -hmm. that doesn't have much value because he's controllable. Yeah, because he's young and unproven. So, and in the long run, yeah, there have been mistakes made, don't get me wrong, but Anthopolis, when he went all in, he was able to recover what he traded away, and that's the most impressive part of this is that this management team is selling that they need to rebuild but can't win while doing so. Mm -hmm. Well, Anthopoulos was able to do that because Osuna, Sanchez, and Stroman were after those trades. I think the only person that might have been in the system at that time might have been uh, Stroman. Right. If I'm not mistaken, they, they um, they traded away Thor, they traded away Echeverria, Jake Marisnik... Um, they traded away the uh, the catcher who went to the Mets as well. I don't know why his name's escaping me. Poor guy. Who's it? Darno. Yeah, Travis yeah. Darno. But then they were able to recoup by drafting a young Osuna, by drafting a young Sanchez, and then getting Strowman. Come up, yeah, and and that these are double A's guys. And I think that this, I think Shapiro and Atkins, in fairness, have a history of being able to build a farm system. But it comes back to this: we were led to believe as fans that this team was still going to be competitive. And they weren't. And moves were not made to make it that way. That's my problem with this whole thing. You want to rebuild? Fine. Fine. Do it. Don't delay. Don't say, okay, well, we don't want to hurt the fans or or ticket sales or have a fan favorite. That's your job, man. Yeah, you're going to take some backlash. If you traded Donaldson back early last year before he got, yeah, you get some backlash. But if you came up with the message of, look, we got. We're not. We're not where we need to be to win a title. We're going to be up to this point, but that's it. And we got to make tough decisions. Eventually, you'd be like, like Joe. Wouldn't you be like, all right? Uh, at the time, maybe I disagree, but I respect it. At least there's a plan. 
I, I don't feel there's a plan. Well, or at I, least there wasn't a plan. Yeah, because the plan that they came in with wasn't actually what they did. No. And at this point, no, they've they said us. nothing but, oh, we continue to try and be successful. Yeah. Okay? How? But, th- but then you weren't. Well, we're going to try. We're gonna, oh, oh how, how are you going to try? And I, that's... Oh. It, listen, when people want to say that you could lose a fan base and it could be tough, well, let's look at the Maple Leafs and look at the Raptors. Both of those teams have outwardly come out and said to their fans, we're going to have to start over. Mm-hmm. They did. Now, the Raptors have a significantly bigger risk of doing that than the, the Maple Leafs do. Oh, sure. Maple because Leafs the Maple could, Leafs could put could me, forever. you, and Steve out on the ice. Right. And they will be packed. Who would be captain, though, Joe? I would have to say you, <laughs> but only because you would force it upon us. That's like, true. You would just take it, smack it on your chest, and be like, too bad, so sad. And just be ridiculous with the media after each game. Yes, yeah. exactly. You'd be the Belichick of players. <laughs> Exactly. Just grunty. But, Joe, I, and I like your point there, the Blue Jays themselves as a franchise have proven this formula. If the team is good, fans come out. If you're not good, they go away. We had 20 years of bad crowds. Team gets good, sell out the Rogers Center. The but formula those, has been there. But in those 20 years, did one general manager come out and say, you know what, I think this is bad. No. Let's just shred it. No, they all half-assed it because nobody because exactly. they're scared. Exactly. The only the closest period the Blue Jays I remember came to shredding was when they refused to resign Carlos Delgado and they traded him to the Mets. Right, and, and you know what? Like, and we had kind of half going for it, like when Roger Clemens came in with Delgado. I remember having that poster when they changed the Jays logo the first time. Right? It was yeah. They went to the red sleeve jersey, right? darker blue. You see that? And remember the hype? You're like. Roger Clemens. Whoa. Delgado. Okay, okay. And, you know, it didn't work out. But at least it looked like that was almost kind of making a move to go for it. Right. And then they pulled back. And then after that, what happened was they lucked out with one of the best pitchers in baseball in Roy Halladay. Yeah. And every fifth day, the Blue Jays would get a win. And that was it. And that was it. And then what they did was they tried to surround him around talent that was too old. They went after mm-hmm. Troy Gloss. A.J. Burnett oh, didn't work out. Then they picked, they picked up uh, the closer, B.J. Ryan. He was wretched. Who, Wasn't he good like the first year? He played for like, I think he got to like something like 90 games. And then he blew out his arm and he couldn't play anymore. He lost his velocity. He was gone. And that was the end of it. Yeah. And that was it. But then even that, like Roy Halladay wasted a lot of years playing for the Blue Jays. He loved being here and we loved having him, but the the team was bad. Just come out and say, yeah, we know Roy's amazing. We're going to use him to retool. And they thought they did, and every player they got didn't work out. And then it didn't work out, and now deception, collusion, I say, from the new Blue Jays management team. But uh, not new anymore. We have uh, people on Twitter blaming Double A, blaming Shapiro Atkins. We'll continue this a little bit later on, but up next. Maple Leaf Talk. We'll get into some good Toronto sports news, right? The Maple Leafs. Ready to rock and roll soon. Terry Koshan from the Toronto Sun, next on Toronto Today. Rolling along here on Toronto Today, TSN 1050, TSN1050.ca. I'm Andy McNamara, brought to you by Lease Busters. We'll get you out of your car lease today. It's as easy as pie, a piece of cake. Avoid penalties and early termination fees. Visit LeaseBusters.com. And don't forget, next Tuesday, September 4th, it's the return of Leafs Lunch. Leafs Training camp getting underway real soon, folks. And we'll be chatting with Terry Koshan of the Toronto Sun in just a moment or so. Go over some of these off-season storylines. Get us ready for this Leaf season. And we'll go over a couple of Leaf topics that 
we've been discussing here on Toronto Today over the last couple weeks, like the captain question. Who should it be? Should it be anybody this season? Our poll question yesterday at TSN 1050 Radio at AndyMC81 was Matthews, Tavares, Morgan Riley, or just go with assistant captains? That's one question. What are the lines going to look like? Well, let's talk some Maple Leafs. Terry Koshan from the Toronto Sun. Terry, how's it going, man? Good, Andy. You? I'm doing well. And, Terry, over the last couple weeks, we've been throwing out different scenarios, different topics for for Leaf fans, and and just seeing, okay, to get get ready for the season. So let's start with this one. It's an oldie but a goodie. The captaincy talk, okay? We put out yesterday, Matthews, Tavares, Morgan Riley, or just assistant uh, captains. Matthews won it, but second, uh, almost tied for second, was just going with assistants. Where do you think this is going to go for this year? Well, I don't know. I I, I would imagine stick with the alternates, uh, the Leafs will. Um, Just just the the things that, that, that Dubas had said about it earlier in the summer, I guess, when, when Tavares was signed. And, and uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how necessary something like that is right now for this team at this point. Uh, I guess it's a good thing, Andy, if, 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 you know, Leaf Nation is getting caught up in who should be the captain because, quite frankly, it's not a huge, it's not a problematic issue. It's not going to cause anything in the dressing room. It's, you're not looking at things. The big Leaf stories right now aren't, you know, where do you plug holes and this sort of thing. Most of the things are taken care of. Um, so the captaincy issue, I, I understand that it that generates conversation and all that, but I just don't think it's a big deal. Where it goes from here, we don't know. I still believe that, you know, once number 34 gets his name on a long-term contract, um, he will be the guy. Uh, but certainly the supporting cast is excellent. Uh, Tavares, you can't go wrong with him, of course. Uh, Morgan Riley, same thing, up-and-comer. You can't forget what a guy like... Patrick Marlowe is going to bring to the room again. So, sure. you know what? It's, it's, it's an interesting storyline for right now, but I think I'm like everyone else. I'm looking forward to September 13th when uh, camp starts and we can get into the nitty gritty of, uh, of uh, what's really important with this club. Exactly. And Terry, I like you brought that up. Look at the things as Leaf fans we get to worry about now. We get yeah. to worry about who's going to be the captain, who's going to be the backup goalie, not uh, who's going to be our first line center, and are exactly. we going to be terrible? Like, no, this is, this is great. We get to have this conversation. And really, Terry, the shift has now gone from, oh, let's make the playoffs to it's cool we're in the playoffs to let's get to the cup final. Like, this whole conversation, yeah. this is a massive year. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and, uh, you know, I don't know if anybody will say it. We'll, we'll say Stanley Cup or bust. Somebody might when camp opens because I know that the players will be asked as much. But uh, that's going to be the mindset going in, uh, whether they're talking about it publicly or not. Uh, that's all there is to it. They have, you know, the pieces in place. You would think, uh, do you still want to see an improvement on the blue line? Perhaps is there more uh, grit that you would like to see in the lineup? Maybe, uh, but, uh, you know, they have the guy in net. They've got Babcock behind the bench. Most importantly, we're seeing it. They've got those players now um, who have this type of experience, and and you see them coming. I mean, you know, as recently as a year ago, we're talking, okay, what's, where's Austin Matthews going to lead this team? Now you can legitimately say, where are Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner going to lead this mm-hmm. team? And, oh, yeah, let's not forget, they've also signed number 91. So... It's such a it's such a jump from where we were at this point twelve months ago to where we are now, and you know you know you look around and you talk about the tables turning. I mean it's a mess in Ottawa. Uh, we're seeing now today that well not seeing but more discomfort if you will involving uh, Mark Bergevin and, and Max Pacioretty in Montreal and, and the contract uh, uh, you know situation there for 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 Pacioretty. So 
the Leafs are definitely on the, on the on the other side of all that now. They're going to be for a very long time. Um, no, it doesn't mean that you know there won't be a few challenges for Mike Babcock. Just really making sure all these great these great puzzle pieces fit uh, once camp uh, opens uh, in a few weeks. Now, he's starting to believe it's yes. only a couple of weeks away. But no, you're right. The, the bottom line is these are minor things, and I guess it's 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 good to have some talk about the Leafs at the end of August. We always will. Uh, but you're, it's nothing like it's been in the past, and it's not going to be for a very long time. Yeah, it's more positive. It's how good can this team be? And, yeah. Terry, you mentioned, hey, maybe Stanley Cup were bust. The issue being, though, we look at the Atlantic and those teams underneath, like uh, and, and just the whole Eastern Conference. You know, Florida's not scaring anybody. Carolina, Detroit. But then you got Tampa Bay at the top, and, man, they're coming off a 113-point season. They got yeah. better. The Bruins might be a candidate to maybe step back a little bit, but that, that Atlantic division specifically is real top-heavy. Where do you think the Maple Leafs stack up you know, on paper right now against the Tampa Bay? Well, that's you would think that the, the, the Leafs or the Lightning will be in the battle for number one yeah. in the division for much of the season. And, uh, you know, perhaps not all of it if one of those two teams happens to pull away. Uh, but the Leafs have to be considered, you know, a 1A, 1B contender, if not the contender to come out of the Atlantic. I mean, when you had a, a, a player of Tavares' um, uh, skill and talent and everything he's going to bring to the room, you know, we haven't really touched on it. This is the depth that it brings to center, of course. Uh, you know, it's they talk about goaltending and centers being, you know, so imperative going forward. And the Leafs have three studs in the middle, which not not many teams can uh, can boast as much. So you would think that that's going to be the way that it, it happens. Uh, you know, in, unforeseen injuries at this point will play a role for some of these teams. We know that as well. Um, and in the conference as a whole, you know, the Washington Capitals uh, don't plan on going anywhere. Uh, Pittsburgh's still going to be a force. And listen, and, and, uh, we talk about other teams, you know, Florida is missing the playoffs by a point last year, but I think the Buffalo Sabres, I don't know whether they're going to come all the way from the bottom of the pack to make the playoffs, but I think with all the improvements they made uh, just down the QEW, um, they're, they're going to be a team, if not this season, then, then coming up that's going to have to be reckoned with within, uh, within the conference and, of course, the division. So the Leafs are going to have teams nipping at their heels. The one, the one, you know, the, the, the mental part of all this, if you will, Andy, that will now help take this to the next level is not being that team who's chasing teams anymore. And, and just, you know, you're not here in the playoffs. You win around, or you, sorry, you last around and you go home and regroup. Uh, mm-hmm. They're going to be disappointed, of course, if that happens again. There will, there will be, you know, seen only as failure if that happens again. Um, but they're going to be one of the teams being chased now, not being the chasers. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see it all unfold starting this season. Yeah, the hunted instead of the hunters. It's a, it's right. a different yeah, mindset. Way to put it. It's yeah. a different mindset. You got to get, and that's what we're going to see out of this Leafs team. In conversation yeah. with Terry Cochan from the Toronto Sun on Twitter at Coach Toronto Sun. Terry, one of the other um, storylines here, and, and again, great storyline to have. We're worrying about the backup goaltender, and yeah. and to me. When you look at Freddie Anderson kind of fading a little bit, maybe overworked, I, the, the scenario I want, Garrett Sparks in, takes on more of a workload. You have Freddie as the starter, but you got kind of that 1A behind him in Sparks because I worry if you send Sparks back, dude's won the AHL goaltender of the year, won the Calta Cup. What else is he going to do? Like, you got to get him up there and more of a workload to ease off of Freddie. Where do you come out on the backup goalie? Yeah, I, 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 I don't disagree with that scenario. Um, there's nothing left for Sparks to do in the minors. That's yeah. obvious. Uh, absolutely nothing. And we talk about, you know, we just finished speaking about the mental strength that this team is going to have to have going forward. Well, 
no matter what Sparks has done, it's gonna it's gonna be a huge knock to his. You would think is if he's not part of this team, you know, coming out of camp and for that first uh, regular season game on the on I guess uh, October third, um, he's ready. You'd think from what we've seen, he's ready to at least make that make that adjustment to being a backup in the National Hockey League. We know that Frederick Anderson isn't going anywhere. We also know that Ernst McLean has no designs on just saying, "Okay, here, kid, take the job." Um, you know, for the times that he was in last year, I think he surprised a lot of people. McLean, he did with what he was able to do. But the fact of the matter is. You know, you have to also, I guess, project a few years down the road and where you're going to be at that backup goaltending spot and and uh, know that, you know, you're not necessarily going to have Mac, well, you won't have Macron in the after the season. So, as far as, uh, you know, I think he's got to be part of this. Uh, you know, people say, oh, well, a good, good um, uh, trade bait if it doesn't work. Well, yes, but I think you also need to con- consider the future here as well and, and, and give him that opportunity to prove that he can do this. And, and, um, it's going to take more than just what we see in the preseason, I think. You're going to have to give him a nod a few times in the early and regular season to see whether he's capable. And I'll, I'll leave you with this, Terry. My, I kind of picture with how deep the Leafs are right down the middle. you got the center depth. What have we been talking about for years? Depth yeah. at center. you got yeah. Matthews. you got Tavares. you got Kadri. you got Freddie Anderson. It may be Sparks, real strong goaltending. And then the defense is still a question mark. But mm. I look at the last time the Penguins won the Cup, Terry, That's that was pretty much what they did. They controlled the play. They controlled the offense so much with all that talent that mm. as long as the goaltending is solid, you can give a little bit on defense. Because ultimately, in a salary cap world, you're probably not going to be able to get the complete team. Well, you had the. You're right. You had the Penguins year before, two couple of years ago. Yeah. Vegas Golden Knights make it to the Cup final. <laughs> you find a bona fide stud on their blue line. Maybe? Great point. No. Great point. Yeah. You can't. So it, it, maybe we're seeing a, um, you know, whether it's a, a shift to this type of thinking or, or we don't know because it's only it's a, it's an awfully small uh, sample size, but. Um, you know, I, I'm curious to see what happens with the blue line this year. I think I think the question mark, and I don't mean it in a negative way, but more from a contract status, is Jake Gardner right. and what becomes of him. Uh, you know, it's scheduled for to be a UFA a year from now, really, geez, just ten months from now. And uh, what becomes of him over the season? Do the Leafs uh, move him to uh, to improve? Uh, is there, you know, who knows? There are a lot of different scenarios that are going to involve uh, Jake Gardner because you would think that. If you're going to eventually pay, you know, the three three kids up front, how do you then afford uh, a bump and pay for Gardner when you're paying Nikita Zaitsev uh, for the next five six seasons, Morgan Riley at five million for the next four? So we'll have to see. But uh, the status quo right now, um, it's not going to bowl a ton of people over. Uh, but do you necessarily need that, like you say, like we've seen, to, to become that team? I still think you'd rather take the chance and say, okay, we do need to improve and not just be status quo. And I think that's going to be one of the um, one of the interesting uh, tests for uh, Kyle Dubas here, um, really as the season gets going, because you know by then you're you're going to be looking to improve by trade, I would think, and uh, you know it, it uh, might be incumbent upon him to do that. But I just think watching. What happens with Jake Gardner is going to be very intriguing because uh, I think what happens with him is going to, uh, you know, kind of give us an idea of where this blue line group is going to be a year from now. And as you said, Terry, it's going to—it's coming up quick, September thirteenth, yeah. Leafs training camp, and then we get to nitpick this whole season down all year long. Going to be a lot of fun, man. Thank you. Okay, thanks for having me. Be all fun. right, Terry Koshan, Toronto Sun on Twitter at Kosh Toronto Sun does a great job writing football as well. Speaking of football. In just a few minutes, Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports senior NFL writer. 
oh my, is there a lot to talk about in the NFL. Um, how about a uh, insider trading scandal, a bust by the feds on Michael Kendricks, Super Bowl champ linebacker with the Eagles, now with the Cleveland Browns, charged with insider trading. Trading. Then you have holdouts, wanting contract extensions. Le'Veon Bell with the Steelers, one of the best running backs around. Khalil Mack, an all-world pass rusher with the Raiders, and John Gruden. What should we expect out of them? Well, we'll talk about that and much more with Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports senior NFL writer, next on Toronto Today here on TSN 1050. Back to wrap up Toronto Today. Then, top of the hour, it's time for the Scott MacArthur Show with Gareth Wheeler. I'll be back with you tomorrow at 11 a.m. Boy, we've had some great Blue Jays talk today. We're going to chat some NFL with Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports senior NFL writer, in just a couple minutes. Let's get an update on our poll question here, though, at TSN 1050 Radio, at AndyMC81 on Twitter. Two years since the Blue Jays have had any sort of success, who's to blame for the Jays' struggles? Is it Alex Anthopoulos with bad contracts or Shapiro and Atkins for doing an overall bad job? 68% say the current group. Shapiro and Atkins, 32% for AA. But there has been conversation and good points for both sides of this thing. And we'll get to some of the tweets. You know what? We'll probably follow up with that uh, more tomorrow because this has been a, a fascinating topic. Who's to blame most? And how do you turn this thing around? Well, we'll have to see. But let's get into some NFL talk. Charles Robinson. Yahoo Sports senior NFL writer. Charles, how's it going, man? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, let's start this just before our show started at 11. News came down. Uh, Michael Kendricks, Super Bowl champ linebacker with the Eagles, now with the Cleveland Browns. He's been charged with insider trading from four years ago. This is bizarre. He's not going to make the final preseason trip with the Browns to Detroit. Um, I, what do you think is going to happen here? Like This is, this is crazy because he's a great player. Well, I, so I, I read through the complaint, actually. Um, it's bad. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, oh. Like it's, yeah, it's uh, clearly... I, okay, so this is this all happened in 2014. I mean, there's no doubt. I, okay, so you have to understand that in, in insider trading cases, when the Security and Exchange Commission gets ahead of this and the feds start investigating... Um, Surveillance typically occurs. I mean, there's there's a multiple there's multiple ways they try to get at information, and it's pretty clear that Michael Kendricks and one of his friends um, set up a brokerage account, tried to obfuscate um, exactly what they were doing by talking in code on text messages. I mean, they were protecting. Um, they did they they did everything they needed to do to try and protect this from being discovered by, by the federal authorities. The problem is Michael Kendricks essentially uh, invested in four different companies that all had the same investment bank that oh. were advising them on purchases, which sticks out like a sore thumb to the SEC. When you, when you take $80,000 um, and, and double it, and then double it, and then double it, and it's all on you know essentially what are four firms being purchased by other firms, the SEC just says, okay, well, who's handling all these different firms? Oh, it's the same bank in New York City? Okay, something's going on here. And, um, you know, look, Michael Kendricks and his attorney are trying to get ahead of this, saying we've been cooperating. Um, I, I, I messed up here. I did this. The reason you do that is because the feds have you at right. that point. They, You know they have you on surveillance. You know you're locked up um, in terms of your guilt. 
And now you have to essentially try to mitigate that by cooperating as much as possible. But I just from reading the complaint, it's very detailed. It lays out exactly how this whole thing went down. And, um, you know, I would be stunned if there is not, um, you know, even if this is a first defense situation for, for Michael Kendricks, um, it's just, it's not the kind of scenario where you don't get prosecuted in some way, shape or form, even if you plea out. So it's, this is going to be really interesting. It's completely, it's, uh, just amazing, like, oh. like for the the Cleveland Browns have been like the greatest hard knocks ever. I know this is like on top of it. They might need a week six. They might need one more episode with this. Seriously, this is crazy. Like, well, and and the thing too is Charles, like this isn't a slap on the wrist type of thing. Like we could be talking actual jail time. Yeah. Well, what? Yeah. I. I mean, look, look. It's basically you're talking about one point. Million in proceeds, which sound, you know to all of us sounds like a lot. Now, in in the white collar realm um, of securities and exchange fraud, um, insider trading, honestly, one point two million dollars is it's a solid chunk of change. It's not astronomical. I right. mean, we've dealt with Ponzi schemes where people are dealing with hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, um, and you know so. Typically, in, in cases like this, you know, people will get, depending on what the charges are, and I don't know what other depth is here and what corners we're not seeing around, or, and, and I don't even know how both of, you know, Michael Kendricks and his friend, how they have cooperated with the federal government. But, you know, it, it, you see guys get six months for, for securities and exchange fraud. Um, you know, it's, it's, but it, you know it's white collar white collar time. You go to Butner, North Carolina, and you end up in the same prison that Bernie Madoff's in, mm. and you know some of these other Ponzi scheme guys end up in. But yeah, I mean this is like <laughs> this is not a geez, it's a first offense, plead out, and you get no you know no jail time. I mean the feds take this really really seriously. And again, from the complaint, it would be one thing if Michael Kendricks could say. Hey, I gave money to this investment banker. I didn't know what he was doing yeah. with it. No, 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 no. <laughs> like the, the text messages alone in the complaint show very clearly that Michael Kendricks knew uh, that this guy was doing something illegally. That that and Michael Kendricks was funding it. And um, and then on top of that, just some of the methods they were using to try and hide the activity, you know, suggest that he was not just a participant. In many ways, he controlled this situation and and you know that's going to lead to to a prosecution yeah and the fact that as you said the feds got him because he came out with a lengthy full apology and admission right. on twitter so boy he might not be playing football this year that's uh that's some fascinating stuff now we go from michael kendricks who might be behind bars to two players who are choosing currently not to play football as we're in conversation with Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports Senior NFL writer here on TSN 1050. Let's begin with Khalil Mack because, Charles, I can't wrap my head around this, how both sides haven't been able to figure this out. You got John Gruden in. Everything's happy and positive in Raiderland. Looking forward to the Vegas move soon. And you have your best defensive player, a stud, holding out. I know he's under contract. I know he should be playing. He's under he has a contract. But at some point if you're the Raiders, you you just got to figure this out, I would think, don't you? Like you got to get this guy on the field. Yeah, it's I think the hold up here is that the Raiders 
since really all this started in February, the Raiders have not put a contract on the table. They, they have not engaged, you mm-hmm. know. So the process has essentially been February rolls around last February, and, you know, Khalil Mack and his representation says, hey, okay, let's start talking about a contract extension. I want to start talking about a contract extension going into my fifth-year option for $13.8 million, but let's see if we can just get an extension in place now. Raiders, silence. Mm-hmm. No engagement on it. And so, you know, this went on for months and months and just absolutely no communication from the Raiders, which I think incensed Khalil Mack. And I think the Raiders are approaching it from the standpoint of you have a fifth-year option. $13.8 million is a high fifth-year option. Like That's a lot of money for a fifth-year option on any player. So it's a good paycheck this year. Play it out the way Von Miller played out his fifth-year option with the Denver Broncos and then negotiated a long-term deal. The Raiders, I think, are sitting there saying, we'd like to do the same thing. Or John Gruden is sitting there saying, we'd like to do the same thing. Let's play it out the fifth year, see what we've got here, see how we feel about it, and then work it out. And if we don't work it out, guess what? We have two franchise tags as well. So the Raiders are looking at Khalil Mack saying, we have leverage, you don't. You're not going to sit out for three years. You're going to get in here eventually. It's going to get messier before it gets better. And I think that, you know, to me, I think there's – as close as you can get to 100% chance Khalil Mack will not be on the field for them in week one against the L.A. Rams. And I I won't say it's 100% only because, you know, look, in the past I've talked to GMs, coaches, players, agents, who have all told me something's going to happen and then it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So um, nothing's 100%, but I I think they are so firmly entrenched right now that – Khalil Mack will sit out in, in week one. We'll see what the what the hurt is for the Oakland Raiders. And if Mark Davis, the Raiders owner, isn't willing to step in here and try to resolve this between the two sides, um, at some point, again, Khalil Mack's not going to sit out three years. He's going to report, but he's going to be unhappy with that deal. And, and I think things are only going to get worse you know, between these two parties. And it just seems like, the Raiders are handling this so poorly from the sense that, like you said, Charles, like, okay, you put it out there, communicate better. Just be like, hey, right. you know what? This is our stance. This is here. And one side note I never understand with Le'Veon Bell or Khalil Mack or anybody who holds out that complaints. Yes, you want a long-term deal, but the NFL is structured that you could say, hey, you're going to make a billion dollars. 20 mil is guaranteed. The 20 million is the real contract. So for like, for that fifth year, that's going to be fully guaranteed. If you franchise tag them once and then twice, that's fully guaranteed in your pocket cash that they can't take away. That's why I don't understand what the big deal is. Well, I, I think it's just because you, you, if you're, if you're Khalil Mack, you're sitting there going, yeah, 13.8 is great, but I am the caliber of player that, um, should be the highest paid defensive player in the game right now. And that's, that's absolutely, he has every right to argue that he, I think a lot of teams in the NFL would look at him and say, yeah, you know, top two or three defensive player edge rusher in the NFL, which is a cornerstone position. If you're Khalil Mack, you're saying, why play for $13.8 million now? Why not just say, let's get the extension done. Let's rip up the fifth year. And that way I start my clock earlier. So, okay. If it's, if it's a five-year deal, I'm 27 years old right now. I'm going to hit free agency again at 32. So let's let's go. Let's do it now because he, you know, there's the art of the negotiation. Everyone's thinking how many it's players, agents, and, and even teams to some respect are thinking how many deals can we get in during a player's prime. And so for Khalil Mack, the earlier you strike it now, again at 27 years old, 
the closer he gets to one more deal later in his career. Right. And, and when you start to hit 32, 33, that's when edge rushers look, you know, the speed starts to go, certain aspects of the game start to go, and, and teams aren't really willing to dole out money at that stage or you become a year-to-year player. So in his mind, I'm sure he's thinking, hey, early in my 30s, I need to get back to free agency. Let's do this now. Yeah, and if you're looking at uh, Khalil or, or Von Miller as far as a comparison and be paid more, well, Von Miller had a six-year, $114.1 million contract averaged out over 19 mil. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you from that standpoint. Yeah, you can. he might think that almost 14 is great, but if I can make 19. So that is something that could really put the Raiders back in a wide-open AFC West. Let's flip it here, Charles, to the AFC North, and you have Le'Veon Bell, who this just seems to be a tired, ongoing storyline. Every year, it seems like he's holding out, wants a long-term contract, and the Steelers aren't interested, and eventually he comes in, maybe gets off to a little bit of a slow start, and then then dominates. What do you make out of that situation between Bell and the Steelers, and could this be the last year for Le'Veon Bell in Pittsburgh? I think it is. I think it's his last year there, and I, I think it'll play out the same way it played out last year with him reporting in time for the regular season, uh, but, you know, taking it right up until, you know, the 11th hour before he walks through those doors. But he, he knows he has nothing to gain really by missing a significant amount this year. Now, you know, he could miss some games and come in later and, and still think, okay, well, look, I'm going to play in a bridge season for the Steelers and then hit free agency. So that will minimize some of my risk. I think that's possible, but I think Bell also knows it behooves him to have a monster season this year for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now he's ta- you know, he takes all the risk, but uh, if if he is headed toward free agency after the season, which I think he is realistically going to head toward free agency, um, he's got to have a big year. And and I think the Pittsburgh Steelers know they're going to put a lot of wear and tear on him this year because it's likely his last year in that offensive system. Um, and Bell knows I'm headed toward free agency, so he's going to accept all that wear and tear and, and attempt to put up as big a numbers as possible. But it's been that same show, as you said, you know, year after year. And I think it's, it's worn thin. And I think both parties kind of know this is, this is coming to an end here. And unless something staggering changes in the midst of the season, I think both parties kind of know that, you know, this is the last hurrah and, and Bell is just going to show up um, as late as he possibly can before he gets back on the field. Yeah, and for Le'Veon Bell, it's he's starting to get into that age that's a, a little scary when it comes to running backs, right? Like you're if you're looking for a long term deal now uh, at 26 years old, well next year you know it'll be 27, and then you're kind of hitting that magic 28, 29 number where running backs just don't get long term contracts, right? Yeah, he's got it. No, it's I mean this is he knows his next deal is probably it's not probably it's going to be his last deal. It's going to be his big deal. So it's part of this is geared into that. And even the next deal, realistically, he's probably sitting there saying, I'm going to earn the first three years of that deal. That's all I know. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you have to operate from the standpoint of what the true shelf life is at the position and the, the shelf life is even for a guy. And he's a little different. I'll say that he is one of those unicorn backs that, um, he can run, he can receive, he can block. I mean, you can use them in a lot of different ways. And those guys tend to have a little more longevity right. just because you can use them in different ways in the offense. But um, everybody knows the score here. And, and to me, this almost feels like the running back version of the Kirk Cousins situation in Washington 
where it just every year kind of got dragged out. Neither side felt fully satisfied. Both were frustrated. And then finally you get to a point where you just make other plans and, and you part company. It kind of feels similar as, between Pittsburgh and Bell at this point. Charles, great stuff. Thank you so much for taking the time. Let's do it again soon. Absolutely. Anytime. It's always my pleasure. All right. Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports Senior NFL Writer on Twitter at Charles Robinson. He has a great podcast uh, with um, Therese Paler as well on Yahoo Sports. So make sure you check that out. All right, folks. Let's get one final update on our Blue Jays Twitter poll here. Two years since the Blue Jays have had any sort of success. Who's to blame for the Jays' struggles? At TSN 1050 Radio, at AndyMC81, 69% of you blaming the current regime. Shapiro and Atkins, 31%, say AA has had bad contracts. Now, we have from uh, at Rohit Sharma on Twitter. It says, there's one bad contract on the team too low. This new management has been here for three years and have barely added anything to the team. Shapiro and Atkins said they wanted to compete and have failed miserably. Very well said. That's the mixed messaging. Say you want to compete. Haven't done it. Haven't done it. At the griper on Twitter blames injury. General injury. Okay? That's fine. We got our guy at Mickey underscore Canuck. Michael says injuries and aging were big factors in the demise of the Blue Jays, which is fair, but I would contend this, that aging can be dealt with. You can deal with aging. You know how? I don't know, by uh, getting new players, getting younger players after that second Jays playoff run. That's when you were supposed to get younger. You saw the model to compete in the American League playoffs. Cleveland Indians, faster Younger, You were older and slower. So injuries can always creep up, sure. But you didn't get younger, you got older. So I put that again on management. We'll continue the chat tomorrow. Talk some Leafs, NFL, whole bunch of good stuff. So for producer Joe Narson, Steve Eliopoulos, I'm Andy McNamara. Gareth Wheeler is up next. I'll be back with you tomorrow at 11 a.m. right here on TSN 1050.